0: there are these huge questions about life that have been relegated to kind of philosophical academics that you take in undergrad philosophy 101 Mm -hmm. and that people oftentimes uh, steer away from. So we just felt like there's all these spiritual tools and spiritual perspectives about looking at all of these questions. Not that every episode that we do is spiritual. Some episodes we're just talking about politics and sociology Mm -hmm. or just feelings, but underneath there's underpinnings of a spiritual connection which has to do with reason and purpose. Why are we here? And how does that guide our approach to asking these deep probing questions?
1: If you're listening to this and saying, okay, fine, everybody has a purpose. Well then, you know, am I doing my purpose? How do I know what my purpose is? If you don't know, then you're not doing it. My wife and I have a couple of sort of life mottos, family mottos that we, you know, focus on a lot. And one of them is have a mission, not a job. And I say this to my students all the time because I think so many of us pursue jobs. I want to be an actor. That's what my passion is. I want to be a writer. That's where my passion is. That's great. But
0: what's your mission? And I think, too, for mission, it doesn't have to be grand. You know, like we don't all have to change the world. Your mission can be, I wanna build beautiful things out of wood and I wanna have a nice family.
2: The Rich Roll Podcast. Today, we're gonna take some of life's biggest questions. We're gonna toss them in a Vitamix. We're gonna press hyperblend, create, a metaphysical milkshake. We're gonna drink it down and we're gonna nourish the soul. My brothers for this mystical journey are none other than Rain Wilson and Reza Aslan. I doubt either of these guys really need to be formally introduced, but if for some reason you're unfamiliar, Rain, come on, you know this guy, star of screens, big and small, best known for his portrayal of Dwight Schrute on The Office. He's an absolute G in the online high vibe content space as the founder of Soul Pancake which was is I should say a digital platform for people from all walks of life to discuss and question what it means to be human a place to wrestle with the spiritual philosophical and creative journey that is life which pretty much sums up the conversation we're gonna have today. Reza is a scholar of religions, a professor of creative writing, a television host, an Emmy nominated producer, and the author of many best-selling books on religion, faith, and spirituality. These two have teamed up on a really great new podcast called, you guessed it, Metaphysical Milkshake, which you should all check out. I've wanted to meet both of these guys for quite some time. Meeting them together was super fun, as is the conversation to come. But before we dive in, a word from our great sponsors who make this show possible. We're brought to you today by On. I am a total gearhead. I love researching the latest technology for the sports I enjoy. And I've learned that people often overlook apparel. from increasing product sustainability to improved energy return and impact protection, truly Swiss innovation at its finest. To get you moving, On is offering an exclusive 10% discount. To redeem, head over to oncom slash richroll and use code richroll10 at checkout. We're brought to you today by recovery.com. so important to my daily routine that the app finds itself right in the dock of my phone for immediate fingertip access. Beyond its robust catalog of daily meditations, it's also this extraordinary library of mindfulness resources that go well beyond the strictures of meditation with courses on stoicism, cognitive behavioral therapy, time management, procrastination, as well as thoughtful conversations with leading scholars on everything from psychedelics to happiness. It really is one of the most worthy investments you can make in yourself. And listeners of the show can get 30 days to try Waking Up for free. Plus you'll save $30 on the in-app price. If price is a concern, Waking Up offers the app for free, astonishingly for anyone who can't afford it. You can find the links on their website to get a full scholarship right now. Just go to wakingup.com richroll to start your free month today. That's wakingup.com slash Rich Roll. So the idea here was to tackle some of those big life questions, themes that recur on both of our shows and have a little bit of fun doing it. Among the frivolous threads today pulled are, what does it mean to be human? How to be a good person? Why are humans prone to spirituality? How do we reconcile science and rationality with faith and spirituality? Are we addicted to everything? What is the role consciousness plays in solving our biggest problems and sundry other related topics? Life is short, so let us waste no more moments. Prepare to have your noodle bent and enjoy my Vulcan mind meld with Reza Aslan and Rain Wilson. Super nice to meet you guys. I've been wanting to meet both of you for a long time. And it means a lot that you would come out here Thank and do you, this in Rich. person with me. Um, I love the new podcast. It's super cool. We're gonna get into all of it. We're gonna talk about the questions that really matter. Um, but first, before we do that, I, I have to say, Rain, I loved you on the Cho Show. I'm obsessed with the Cho Show. Okay. All things (laughs) David Cho. I loved how you unboxed the uh, painting the other day. Yeah. And uh, there's something about that guy who is so magnetizing, like his earnestness and his like childlike
0: nature. How'd you guys
1: become friends? uh... Uh,
0: Oh, Cho and I became friends through mutual, through mutual friends Mm -hmm. and met... um, and, there was guy, and then this guy was hosting this kind of retreat, this like men's weekend retreat in Hawaii. And then we hung out for a whole weekend in Hawaii and went snorkeling and yeah. exploring and sharing. And you know, he kind of, Cho shares everything about his, right. his it's life. It's all on the sleeve mm-hmm. with yeah, that guy. Um, Which is so like refreshing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, he used to not be, he used to be the opposite mm. of that. So mm-hmm. he used to be, jaded and cynical and withholding and too cool for school. And and the the crazy guy who spent months in a Japanese prison. And now he's on this journey of kind of self-discovery and it's really raw and uh, I really appreciate what he does. And yeah, yeah, he's become a good friend and and plus admire his incredible art. I mean, his artistry is astonishing. Yeah,
2: I know. I hope they get a second season of that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, Similarly, I watched the uh, Bourdain doc recently, Roadrunner. Have you seen Mm, it yet? Not yet, no. Um, And David plays a big part in that, especially near the end. Um, But in thinking about that documentary, and I suspect like the influence that, that Anthony had like on your own life and how you conceptualize believer and, you know, how you, Kind of pursued those stories through that show. I I think there seems to be a lot of similarities there.
1: Yeah, and unfortunately, I never got a chance to meet um, Tony, but you know, I mean, his specter (laughs) is at every part of CNN. At least it used to be. And you know, this was a time in which I think CNN was trying to get into the entertainment business, um, and they're not as much anymore. Mm -hmm. I think it's funny because, like, I I think about you know, what they were doing during that decade. Insofar as, you know, marketing and and the entertainment industry goes, they had this very smart plan, which was these um, Bourdain-like hosts, you know, that would get somebody with strong opinions and strong views, and then they would let them pursue their expertise, their their passions, exactly. But then there was this tension because they were a news outfit and a, aggressively you know center news outfit. Mm-hmm. So there was this constant conflict between let's get people with big opinions and big personalities and let's empower them to go out there and show our viewers the world. but also they can't say anything Not newsworthy or yeah. political or
0: <laughs> controversial controversial
1: <laughs> yeah. or anything uh-huh. I mean Bourdain, had a lot to say, but he was smart enough to say it about British politics.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. He, he bit his tongue in America. Oh my politics. gosh, the
1: things this guy would say, you know, about like British politicians uh would have definitely have gotten him fired. But I think everybody else very clearly got the message. And now they're yeah, just not doing are, it anymore. Times are different. Yeah. Now they're well, just like well, forget well, no, about that have, whole.
0: They have Stanley Tucci going around Italy sampling pasta. That's what I mean. Right. So Which, they're like. So it's much more milk toast. It's kind all of, milk
1: you know. toast now. Yeah. It's like the the only I think the only person who has survived is um, Kamal Bell, and I think partly he has he learned very quickly mm-hmm. uh, that he should probably just keep his political opinions to himself. I mean, you know, he'll he'll make certain, you know, comments here and there, but nothing controversial. No, that kind of
2: programming isn't gonna exist at a place like CNN anymore. I mean, there's, but there are a multitude of places where you can do that kind of thing, like Netflix or maybe Vice or something like that.
1: Used to be, yeah. Yeah. I think that's, it's kind of, that whole genre has pretty much gone by the wayside Mm. nowadays. It's hard to find shows like that, like the Bourdain kind Mm. of go around the world show again. Tucci, you know, it's like an Italian American eating pasta in Italy. It's yeah. there's nothing controversial, controversial yeah. or you know on edge about it at all. Uh, Bourdain would like go to Palestine, <laughs> you know, he would right. go to Iran, yeah, uh, yeah. He would and go Haiti, to, and he would talk he would go about Haiti. Income yeah, inequality. Haiti, yeah, exactly. No, nope. was... ain't nobody doing that. Yeah, anymore. he was
2: in Beirut when all kinds of craziness broke out there.
1: It's just funny because like it's so they they could have done, they could have just put a wall, like the way Fox News pretends to do, right? They put a wall between everything after 8 p.m. and everything before 8 p.m. or 7 p.m.
0: or whatever. Here, and this ev- is opinion. And everything right. before
1: 7 p.m. is news. Anything that happens after 8 p.m. Like- is entertainment. <laughs> it's not even opinion, right? It's just entertainment. Yeah. And I think that's what CNN tried to do. but. They just, they didn't go right. all in. I'm
0: actually trying to get a show off the ground. We're actually in negotiations right now. I can't really name with who, but a, a, me going around the world, um, it's called the Geography of Bliss. And it's about what makes people happy around mm. the world. I love that. So yeah. why are people year after year happier in Finland than they are sure. in Romania, Sure, you know? And it's not just, you know, income necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, what is it culturally or what, what habits or practices uh, make people culturally have a greater sense of well-being mm-hmm. so i'm uh, sure you're familiar with dan
2: buettner then the the blue zones guy
0: oh yeah the blue zones yeah, yeah. sure you course. should have him on yeah. your
2: show because he's all about that and like wrote a whole book about that he has the blue zones of longevity like where people live right, the longest yeah. but he's also done a similar study to identify the pockets around the world where people right. are the happiest, right, right, and what makes them happy, and it's counterintuitive. It's not the things that we've that been taught think, yeah. that are, that is shoved down, you
0: know, our throats through well, marketing and media. Because I, I was reading this article about speaking of Finland, and there's a, there's a Finnish word that uh, I, I don't remember, but it basically is a word that is kind of like essentially uh, translates to keep your expectations relatively low and in check. (laughs) (laughs) So why are they happier? Mm. Because they're not expecting to live a (laughs) wildly outrageously happy life. Whereas Uh we Americans kind of feel like life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. And it's kind of like, I've got stuff. I've got got cotton candy. I've got video games. I've got 147 apps on my phone. Like, why am I not happy? Mm -hmm. Like, I wanna be fucking happy. Why am I not happy? And there's this kind of like, crazed outrage for happiness, whereas this, I'm not sure that the Finnish way is the right way, by the way, Mm -hmm. it's just, but it's an, it was an interesting article that had that kind of like this cultural tempered response Mm -hmm. to life that, so then you're kind of like, when you are happy, you're pleasantly surprised, like, Wow, I ate some boiled yeah. fish and I was a little bit happy. <laughs> Yay, me, you
2: Yeah, know? As opposed to the expectation that we're meant to be happy all the time.
0: Yeah.
1: Well, I would say even further disappointment. It, like baked into the concept of the American dream, right? Is this idea that you can be more, you can do more, your children will be better off yeah. than you are. Yeah. Um, anyone here can rise to the heights of wealth and power with just hard work. None of that is true. None of that is true anywhere in the world, right? You could work as hard as you want to. You could uh, do everything right. and it's just not guaranteed that there will be sort of a uh, steady progress upward on the ladder. Mm-hmm. But imagine living and being born in a country in which that's the ethos that you should there should there's more. yeah,
0: there's, there's something else that there's something keep going. Wrong if you haven't achieved it. Mm-hmm. So if you are not better off than your parents or not better off than your grandparents and not happier, or making more money, it's your fault. owning more property, it's your fault. <laughs> Something
2: has gone off the rails yeah, something's with a light rails. dusting of entitlement
0: on top of it. But the only reason that this did work in the United States is because we stole a shit ton of land from the natives <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and we had slave labor to build our infrastructure. So yeah. yeah, from the late 1800s to the, let's say 1970s or 1980s, there was unchecked growth because we weren't, Finland we weren't an enclosed land area just trying to subsist in that land we were just growing and moving and having railroads and having more you know timber and gold and and natural resources so we were able to kind of sustain this growth through that time period but now of course here here we are life liberty and the pursuit of happiness and then for the last generation or two things have been getting worse on kind of every level yeah and and philosophically
1: speaking a lot of the problems that we have as a country, certainly when it comes to uh, the sort of giant chasm in social incomes, uh, you know, and and um, you know the the kind of huge gap between the poor and the wealthy, the way that we treat wealthy people, the way that we think about religion and spirituality in the United States, it's all a byproduct of this American mm-hmm. dream ethos, right? We look at rich people and assume that they are rich because they deserved to be rich, Mm -hmm. right? We had this conversation a lot when Trump was running for office, right? It's like, I'm rich, so therefore um, I know what I am doing. We actually did a a podcast episode on this, this idea that wealth doesn't just equal um, success, it equals Morality, like we we look at rich people as being more moral. Um, look at the prosperity gospel, a thing that could really only exist in the United yeah, States, right? Yeah. A, a, the whole concept of which is wealth is indicative of your salvation. If you are rich, it's because God has rewarded you. It's a it's a symbol of the fact that you are saved. And so, mm-hmm. you should pursue wealth the way that you would pursue, you know, spiritual edification. I mean, name another country, in which that is a prevailing view of, you know, tens of millions of the citizenship. It's it's crazy. Yeah,
2: I think on top of that, also just the mere statement, the pursuit of happiness is wrongheaded in the sense that happiness is a byproduct of other pursuits such as, you know, trying to find purpose in your life. Like you mentioned the Finnish word Mm -hmm. in Okinawa, they have a word Ikigai, like which is essentially means to live a life that is purposeful, to wake up in the morning and feel a sense of purpose and obligation and happiness being a byproduct of orienting orienting your life around that type of ethos rather so than true. you know the pursuit of accumulation that has yeah. led to you know and this is what i want to get into like this crisis of of consciousness that we find ourselves in certainly you know religion is a is a predominant aspect of of living in america but on a spiritual level i feel like we're we're bereft of the meaning that is behind the pursuit of a spiritual life. And that's led to so much of our fractured society and our inability to communicate with each other and the way in which we prioritize our lives.
0: We're all about that. that, Yeah, I know. I know, this is like your (laughs) (laughs) jam. This this is our jam. A
2: a big reason why I wanna have you guys here. Like I'm looking at, (laughs) You know the people that you've selected to have on your show. There's a there's an overlap with some of my guests, and I know you have some upcoming guests or people that I've had on my show. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know the 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 we big basically looked through your life. guest lists, and we've <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> yeah. we're going to get that open. Rabbi Mordecai. Not that either of you would ever have a problem getting <laughs> you know finding any of these people, but whoever you want, yeah, you got to have Rabbi Mordecai. Yeah, he's on, amazing. He's the best. Wow. Man. Wow. Um, but I'm interested in how all of this came about. I mean, essentially. A high actor and a Sufi Muslim, <laughs> uh, you know, walk into a bar or a soundstage <laughs> and say, Hey, you've dominated screens big and small. So have I. Like, what are we going to do next? Well, I guess we'll do a podcast. So, right? I actually so think it
0: was on
1: the stage, not a bar.
0: <laughs> it, it was a stage. On yeah. a stage. It was, um, we, we met on a stage at USC. And um, we were doing, uh, I was emceeing an event about the the treatment of members of the Baha'i faith in its home country of Iran and how they're being terribly persecuted Mm -hmm. there by the kind of Muslim theocracy. That's an understatement. um, And Reza (laughs) was a a speaker and featured speaker there. And we met, that was the first time we met. And then we met at a fellow Baha'i's house who uh, was a a producer and funder of media. And Reza had just started his kind of production company working in media Um, and, Aslan Media? No, what's it? No, it was uh, Boom Gen, Boom is, Generation, the, yeah. yeah, Boom Gen mm-hmm. uh, Studios, and and then he wrote his book about Jesus. He wrote this little book about Jesus, became yeah. a number one bestseller <laughs> yeah. for like eight months in a row, and kind of redefined how so many people kind of look at the Bible. And we did an event where I, you know, got to do a Q and A with him about his book. I was a huge fan. Thank you for of, that, by the way. Was really nice We're in that him. little mm-hmm. church. Yeah. Yeah. And um, eight years ago. And uh, yeah, and then, you know, bumped into each other through, and then we're having breakfast one day and I was talking about my spiritual journey in life and what I'm dealing with. And Reza's talking about his spiritual journey in life and what he's dealing with and his challenges. And, you know, I found our conversations just kind of bouncing around, kind of like the way they are this morning. And we're like, this should be a podcast. We really (laughs) should have a microphone between us and be having this conversation, you know, with with a listening audience. And at the time, this company that i had founded, Soul Pancake, a a digital media company that probes life's biggest questions and is all about uplifting, you know, challenging content. They produced it and we did season one on Luminary. Now that's season two uh, out in the general podcast, O-Sphere. And that's kind of how it started, but it was essentially a shared love of exactly what you were talking about Mm -hmm. that um, there are these huge questions about life that have been relegated to kind of philosophical academics that you take in undergrad philosophy 101 Mm -hmm. and that people kind of oftentimes uh, steer away from. Mm -hmm. Um, I have some stuff to say about that uh, later on, uh, specifically with the recent death of a friend of mine. Uh, So we just felt like, There's all these spiritual tools and spiritual perspectives about looking at all of these questions. Not that every episode that we do is spiritual. Some episodes we're just talking about politics and sociology Mm -hmm. or just feelings, but underneath there's underpinnings Mm -hmm. of a spiritual connection, which has to do with reason and purpose. Why are we here? And how does that guide our approach to asking these deep probing questions and and
2: and it's not about the answers so much as it is the practice of wrestling with the questions yeah. and the practical tools that we can extract from from them because philosophy and spirituality should be uh, a, a roadmap for how we live it, yeah it shouldn't just live in the halls of academia or in conversations behind closed doors like there's great practical wisdom packed into all of this, of course. And and I think, you know, we're in a culture that's in desperate need of that kind of mainline injection into how we think and, Absolutely. you know, prioritize our, our, our lives.
1: Yeah, Sufism has this concept that it's all about the path and not the destination. You know, I mean, the important thing is to be moving forward stage after stage, evolving at every step, getting closer and closer, but recognizing that you'll probably never get to the destination and that's okay. Mm -hmm. And it's the same kind of philosophy that we bring to a lot of these existential questions, which is you said it right, the question sometimes is more important than the answer. Now, mm-hmm. occasionally, we'll come up with some pretty good answers,
0: right? Yeah, we've hit a
1: few. Yeah, we've had a few jackpots, and surprise, and surprising too, you know, and and also answers. In fact, let me
0: let me just jump in there. Go ahead, yeah. And Reza, this uh, podcast that was two ago, Mike Shore. I was just going to say that, that. Go ahead. I'm yeah. going to tee you up because you had. It was really fun having a conversation with Mike Shore, who's he was a writer, director on The Office. He's the creator of Parks and Rec mm-hmm. and also The Good Place. And we were talking about the, the show, The Good Place and about being good. And that was our life's big question of the episode. Like, how do we be good? How do right. we know what that means to be good? And over the course of this conversation, like I saw this like giant, like it was a cartoon, a giant <laughs> light bulb over Reza's head as he kind of like some... Some things clicked in. You wanna do you wanna well so a lot of the questions that sorry that we have we, hi- have we hijacked your podcast? This is great, man. It <laughs> okay. just make
2: it's, I can relax.
1: Can we you guys ask you are questions? Pros? This is a <laughs> no
0: go have for a it. vegan donut or something, whatever you eat.
1: A lot of a lot of the episodes that we that we do are based on just questions that Rain and I have, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And one of at least my biggest questions has been for a very, very long time, how can you be good? like how can you just be a good person um divorced from you know religious obligations and dogma and all of that yeah. stuff and you know I went into this conversation as I often do assuming there's no real answer to this but let's have fun with the question and mike i think summed it up so well he said the way that you can be good is to try and it was those simple little things that sometimes happen in the podcast, right? Mm. Uh, the same thing happened when we when we talked to the great Krista Tippett about wisdom, like what is wisdom? Well, all right, I've got a couple of answers to that, but none of them are, you know, that. How can you be wise? I don't know. I, I've got I, I can wax philosophical about that, but again, she she kind of encapsulated it so perfectly. She said, "Wisdom is found." in the impact that you leave on the people around you. And I thought, well, that's an answer. Mm. I mean, that's- <laughs> Yeah, I've never heard that's it. That's not Put just that an way. idea, that's just an answer. And I I mean, sometimes there are answers and sometimes those answers hit me like a ton of bricks. Those two yeah. have stayed with me for a very, very yeah, yeah, long yeah, yeah. time. That's cool. Um, but we always go into these episodes recognizing that, you know, at the end of this 45, 50 minute conversation, maybe all that we've done is really ask the question in a proper way and gave it the weight that it deserves. And the weight that so often we don't give anymore. Rain said it perfectly. Like these are the kinds of questions that you used to ask in college. All right. It's been a long time since I've been in college. It's been a very long time since I think anyone at this table has been in college. And now we have kids and we have jobs and we have mortgages and we have bills to pay. And I don't ask those questions anymore. They still Mm -hmm. rattle around in the back of my brain, but they're rarely actually things I get to think about. Mm -hmm. And that's what we get to do with metaphysical milkshake is think about them and hell, we get paid to do it. Yeah, a little bit. (laughs) I mean, a little bit, but still. It's not very much. No, not, not, not compared that to an Office, episode not, of network
0: TV <laughs> no. in its no. ninth yeah, it's I think now. you need to
2: recalibrate your barometer <laughs> <laughs> a
0: little bit. rain. Right? Well Reza's um, uh he's an academic and an yes, author. Yes, I don't understand. This is he's a, a professor at the UC system, so oh, I know. he's not, you mm-hmm.
2: know. Um, are you still teaching now? You teach creative writing,
1: yeah. I do, I yeah. do. I am uh, I'm a professor of creative writing at, at UC Riverside. Uh-huh. I've been there since I guess two thousand seven. Right, well, I thought what would be fun,
2: since this is all about uh, questions, big and small, is to do something a little bit different. This is an idea that I got from uh Rob Bell. You guys know, where. Sure, know oh, we Bell, love right? Rob Bell, yeah. Rob yeah. Bell, I'm certain is gone on your show. He's been on. He's been on. I was gonna say the yeah. only
1: two-parter ever. Uh-huh.
2: Good, you of can't course. Get, he, no, you you can't right. get him to be quiet. No, 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 yeah. <laughs>
1: he just, you don't want <laughs> him to be quiet. You don't want yeah. him to be
2: quiet, yeah. Um, but I went to, he did a live podcast at Largo um, with Liz Gilbert and they did kind of a choose your adventure thing with a, what we have here in front of us, which is essentially a fishbowl with a bunch oh. of wadded up pieces of paper. Oh, right. On each piece of paper here, I put one of these big questions. So I thought we could just pick one out. This could go terribly wrong, by the way. This could be yeah. This could be, this could awful. be a disaster. Be, but, uh, Let's
1: do it. Let's pretend, room conversation. Let's pretend we're us Should I start us? Yeah. First I time us? away from our parents.
2: And if it's if we've already talked about it or it's bad, we could just go back to the well. What do you got there? There's does, some stupid ones in there too. Does
0: everybody have a purpose?
2: That's a good one.
0: I think that's a great one. Yeah, yeah let's 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 do that one. Let's yeah. do that one. I believe that everyone has a purpose. I believe this with all of my heart and uh, in a very strong way, because as a member of the Baha'i faith, but not just a Baha'i faith. I think anyone who has, I mean, I think that's an answer that applies to both theists and atheists, but uh, as a member of the Baha'i faith, I believe that we're on an eternal spiritual journey that this you know our whatever our soul our eternal part of ourselves is encased in this flesh tuxedo for eighty or ninety years. We schluff it off and we continue our journey mm. beyond time and space so while we 're here, everyone has a purpose now it It may not be like everyone on planet Earth has a purpose like Oprah has a purpose. I mean, it's, it's about finding- <laughs> We can't finding, all be Oprah. You know, all can't, we can saying. have 7 billion Oprah's on the planet, but I do think that um, this is one of the really exciting tasks is there's a riddle wrapped inside this question, which is our purpose is to find our purpose. Mm-hmm. And as soon as we found our purpose, we have to be not sure that that's our purpose and we have to keep finding our purpose. So by the time we're 97 and we keel over, hopefully we're all continuously at the very beginning footsteps of this eternal journey toward finding what that purpose is and mm-hmm. it may shift and change and so whether you call that you know god or or the or the great spirit or the, just the power of the universe or the winds of the cosmos or the mystic connection or whatever you want to call god which has become a four letter word and is it is a tough concept to dig into but the winds the holy spirit the the winds of the cosmic power of the creative force that surrounds us that's within us without us beyond us beyond the limitations of time and space this has a these winds have a very special um we have a very special relationship with them mm-hmm. i believe and it's for it's like a it's it's like when you go sailing i don't know anything about sailing i've barely i've been sailing like twice but the whole idea that you you tack your sails to try and get the most out of the wind depending on you have a vague you know I want to go toward that island but you may not go directly to the island you may the, the winds may take you off to the left a little bit and then back or you may have to zigzag the wind stall for a little bit you turn on your motor then the winds are pushing you right there but you you are trying to align yourself with those with those winds and it's it's really it's exciting mm-hmm. i think it's a really exciting part of being alive maybe the most exciting part of being alive and this is where i think that young people, especially—I don't know about older people. I mean, older people, we, we get set in our ways, and like Reza said, we've got kids and jobs and mortgages, and kind of, you know, we have a little bit of stuff figured out. But especially for this mental health crisis that is afflicting uh, kids under under twenty or thirty, it, it's it's astonishingly uh, insidious and toxic and and fatal. And but but this this connection to this question. Um, is a big part of helping to use a spiritual tool to solve that mm-hmm. issue to solve yeah. that problem. Beautifully put. Hard agree. Thanks. Can yeah. we just end the podcast? Hard there? agree. Yeah,
1: boom. The only thing that I'll just say to to people who are listening to this because I I, I mean I could have listened to that all day. It's a hundred percent. True. I uh, I agree with it a hundred percent. And I have like philosophical and theological reasons why I agree with it and experiential reasons why I agree with it. But what I'll just say is that if you are listening to this and saying, okay, fine, everybody has a purpose. Well, then, you know, how do I, am I doing my purpose? How do I know what my purpose is? Um, If you don't know, then you're not doing it. For those people, like, I feel like I am achieving my purpose uh, I would say probably you too, Rich, mm-hmm. yeah, Rain. I
0: mean, you're doing what your purpose is. I wrestle with it, truth be told, but yes, by and large, I do, you know. Just, well, I mean- you're, the It's meta- a constant, for me, a constant, a series of, of the, going back to the sailboat metaphor. That's what I was adjusting just say. the sails, yeah, but yeah. The,
1: it, that metaphor is so perfect because everyone, everyone who has had this experience will tell you that when the wind is right and your sail is, you know, exactly where it's supposed to be and you're moving smoothly. And I mean this metaphorically, not actually on the water, but I mean in life, you know it, yeah. mm-hmm. you know it. Mm-hmm. And you always know when you're fighting the wind. Um, so pay attention to that feeling. Yeah, Pay attention to that if you're sitting there thinking to yourself, well, then how do I know what my purpose is? Are you fighting the wind? Mm. Is that what it feels like? Then you're not pursuing your purpose.
0: And here's another thing I'll say, you ready for this? I'm ready. Okay, fasten. The bar is high now. Okay, <laughs> fasten your podcast seatbelts, Rich. If people are listening to this and saying, well, I just don't know, or I can't find mine and I've tried to be a massage therapist and then I had a job as this and I tried to start up a business here and I went back to school for this and I, it's not working out and blah, blah, blah. Well, I will say, and this is gonna sound crazy. It's gonna sound crazy. Pray, hmm. pray. That doesn't mean you have to go into a Catholic church and cross yourself and look at an icon to pray. It doesn't mean that there's an old white man with a beard on a cloud, granting wishes like Santa Claus from up above. But we live in a society in LA at least. And I find this really interesting that everyone in LA, not everyone, a lot of people in LA meditate, but mm-hmm. don't pray. Cause mm-hmm. oh, I have a, such a hard time with a higher power. And everyone in mid America prays and doesn't meditate. (laughs) 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 So they don't kind of deeply contemplate Uh or they're not open to a kind of the receiving the wisdom from the universe, from the act of prayer. Mm -hmm. But people in LA are just receiving and never asking because another reason why, because it takes humility to pray. Mm. And people in LA on the coast don't have a lot of humility. It's in short (laughs) supply when you pray. And again, I'm just talking about opening your heart to the spirit of the cosmic creative force of the universe. I'm not talking about like- Crossing yourself. Oh God, and, you know, please you know, kind of dogma- give me a pony. You know, it's it's just saying universe, where would you have me go? All mm-hmm. loving providence that surrounds me. What would you have me do? And how would you have me do it? Um, I'm open to signs. Mm-hmm. Just be like, I'm open. Yeah. You can just wake up and you just say, I'm open and that's a prayer.
2: Yeah, there's an expansiveness to like broadening your perception and your your willingness to just be in that receiving mode and in the asking mode. But I think we all to some extent have this yearning inside of us. For some, they're very conscious of it. For others, perhaps it's a little bit more muted, but this sense of there is something for me out there. And I do think there's beauty in pursuing that. But I think you're right, Raza, like most people don't know what their purpose is. Perhaps they don't spend enough time or very much time at all thinking about it, but I do believe that it is out there for everybody. And I think that part of the beauty of life is the pursuit of finding that. And I would tweak a little bit, Rain, what you said, this idea that once you find it, then you continue to find it like you iterate on it or you remain open to it changing or morphing in certain ways. But I think an important piece also to that is, than sharing what you learned in service to other people. Mm, like yeah. the service piece mm. of it, yes. I think really um strengthens that sense of purpose. And the search for it is, you know, yes, prayer, meditation, and all of that, but ultimately it is an inside job. Like you have to become integrated with who you are. You have to get to know yourself, like know thyself, because otherwise you're not gonna hear that vibration and your boat is gonna be you know, tacking against the wind. And it's only when you know yourself well enough that you can determine, okay, I have to course correct. And here's how I get more in alignment with like my energy and paying attention to the way the universe responds to that. So you can you know, make those fine tune adjustments that, that lead you in that direction that you seek. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'll use
0: myself as an example. Classic LA narcissist. Um, <laughs> a
2: praying narcissist. <laughs> he the, prays to himself. Yes. He should have mentioned that part.
0: <laughs> to my <bobble> head. <laughs> Yeah. Um. For most of my life, my purpose was to be an actor. That's all I wanted to do. I just wanted to learn how to act. I wanted to be a better and better actor. I wanted to learn skills of acting. Then I wanted to learn how to act in front of a camera. And I wanted to do comedy and drama and play different kinds of roles and play serial killers and and weirdos and slapstick and you name it. And my whole life from when I was a teenager and I first started acting at like 16, um, all the way up into my, well into my 40s and late 40s, I lived, slept and breathed acting. And I saw myself as, actor as storyteller. I didn't just say like, oh, I just want a job so I can buy a house, although that was nice. But, you know, it, as an actor in the greatest sense, you're part of telling a story and mm-hmm. entertaining, and it, there is a service component to it. Um, and then it's been very interesting for me because over the last six, eight years or so, it's like, it's held much less kind of of a draw. You know, mm-hmm. I still like doing it sometimes, but, um, it, I don't, my life isn't based around that next acting yeah. job. So it has been like, is this a change in purpose, a shift in purpose mm. in my life? So starting Soul Pancake, writing more stuff, writing books, working with Reza, like on this pod, and doing more service work, nonprofit work that I do with my wife in Haiti, et cetera, like finding more meaning from that stuff. And 'Cause purposes can change.
2: Yeah. That's interesting. I mean, you were you're a G in the whole digital content space. I mean, Soul Pancake oh, yeah. was two thousand nine. When did you start that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, pretty early in the whole like high vibe sharing cool yeah.
0: content. Like We were the first. Taking yeah, we wisdom were the and the making first. it
2: yeah. cool for young people, yeah. creating mm-hmm. digestible content.
0: Yeah. 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 You yeah. Know. Yeah. Yeah. It was um it was an amazing adventure to start that with some friends and to just be ideating on like, speaking of that service component, yeah. like what can we do for young people on the internet that's cool and right. fun? And that can be a business, that can be a sustainable yeah. business model as and well. Wasn't,
2: wasn't uh, Metaphysical Milkshake, like in the back of a van or something? Or was that yeah. a, do you have a <laughs> different name then? Or you were kind of doing this. used to this? drive around in a van and <laughs>
1: yeah. ask people to get <laughs> yeah, in and I talk about-
2: take, uh, Existential over. issues. Right.
0: <laughs> um, Steve O's doing that now. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. It was metaphysical milkshake was the original name of Soul
2: Pancake, mm, oh, the wow.
0: very first uh. name. But we quickly scrapped that because it was so weird, and um, <laughs> it became yeah. It was a talk show in the back of my van, and but it was about life's big questions. But I would ha- interview actors and celebrities and, yeah. and stuff like that. So we just kind of held on to the name. I, I love the name, and and moved it into the podcast right. space.
1: Sure. Reza, you are about just, to say something. Just to put it uh, you know, a close to the conversation about purpose. Um, yeah, I really like what Rain was saying. My wife and I have a couple of sort of life mottos, family mottos that, that we um, you know, focus on a lot. And one of them is have a mission, not a job. And I, I say this to my students all the time, because I think so many of us pursue jobs. I wanna be an actor that's what my passion is i want to be a writer that's where my passion is that's great but what's your mission
0: mm.
1: you know your your mission is bigger than the things the things that you do right if you have a mission then you can have multiple ways in which that mission expresses itself like acting or you know writing or service or whatever the the thing is so you know if you're sitting there and you're thinking to yourself what do i want to do with my life tweak that question just a little bit. What is your mission in life? Pursue that mission. And I promise you, doors people will, open. People mm. will pay you for it,
2: <laughs> you know? Mm. But it's the rare individual who, who has a grip on that, right? I feel like, mm-hmm. especially with young people, like you have to live some life. Like you have to travel, you have to collect experiences. You have to put yourself out there. How yeah. could you possibly, Absolutely. you know, it's not gonna, it's not a thunderbolt thing. I mean, there's always the kid, who you know at age six knows what he or she wants to do, but that's <laughs> that really me. the outlier. Well, this is, yeah. this
0: is what I always say to when I, cause I do some speaking at college campuses and stuff too. And I just tell people like, the 20s are a waste of time. Like, don't even worry about it. Don't try and get it <laughs> yeah. figured out. Like the point of your 20s is to try 12 different mm-hmm. things and fail at nine of them mm-hmm. um, so that you can come out. But there's all this societal pressure of like, that's not urination by the way if you're hearing that <laughs> in a microphone that's a Reza pouring a glass yeah. of water. There's no proof of that. Um but but truthfully in society right now you talk to so many college kids and they're so depressed at 2021 because they don't they haven't gotten the perfect internship over the summer and they're not mm-hmm. pre-enrolled in the perfect grad program mm-hmm. and they don't have their you know their their job Now, I know it's hard to make a living out there. You know, it's hard to have a career and make a living. It's much harder than in the 80s and 90s when we were, you know, getting our educations. But nonetheless, if you view the 20s as a workshop stage, then it gives you some, you can relax a little bit. But you gotta
2: do some counter-programming around that. You're asking young people to step off the hamster wheel. And that's pretty scary, especially for a kid who's, you know, kind of been on that track, where it's like, get into the right college, get the mm-hmm. right job. And mm-hmm. then, oh, if I, if I opt out of that, then life's going to pass me by. But obviously, you know, it's quite the contrary.
0: Yeah. And I think, too, for mission, and we've been on this topic too long, but yeah, we're going to have to pick another The uh, thing. <laughs> uh, I think, here you go, Reza. I just think, in terms of mission, too, it doesn't have to be grand. You know, like we don't all have to change the world. Your mission can yeah. be, I want to build beautiful things out of wood yeah, and I want exactly. to have a be- nice family. That's exactly what I mean,
1: yeah, I, I, that's it, what I mean. I don't mean like, yes, uh, maybe your mission is change the world, great, Yeah. okay. Well done, Greta. Um, but like, yeah, my mission from a very early age was to change the way that people think through stories. I didn't say to myself, I'm gonna be a writer, or I'm gonna be a television producer, you know, I'm gonna be like a podcast host But all of those are just different Mm. ways of telling stories to change the way that people think. So Mm. those are the jobs that I do, but the mission is something else. Mm. That's great.
2: with Amanda Decadene. You can explore this network and all its offerings at voicingchange.media. All right, my turn.
1: My turn, my turn. Here we go, here we go. All right. What do we got here? Okay, um... Oh, hey, 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 this is right up my alley. What do people misunderstand about spirituality? Ooh, that's oh, good, good okay, one. This is it, yeah. we're not gonna get past this question, no, are we? We can spend <laughs> the, the next <laughs> four hours this talking is, about this. This is it right here. All right, all right, Rain and I have a lot to say about this. Let me start. Um, first of all, that religion and faith are two different things, right? They're not the same thing. I think in a lot of thinking, people just assume that, Um, that they're the same. In fact, they'll say the the way that they talk, right? They'll say things like, I believe in Christianity or I believe in the Bible, Mm -hmm. you know? And I'm like, you believe it exists? I don't understand what you mean by that because these are not ends in themselves. They're paths to an end. Religion, spirituality, Whatever that means, faith, whatever that means, it's it's individualistic. It's nebulous. It's ineffable. It's undefinable. It's mysterious. It's about it's experiential more than anything else. Mm. It's yeah. about how you see yourself and your your place in the in the universe. Mm-hmm. Um, religion is the language that you use to express that feeling, right? We have, we have ways of talking about so many of our emotions. We have an entire language dedicated to expressing love. We have an entire language dedicated to expressing anger. What is the language to express this mysterious, ineffable part of human nature? Well, it's religion and that's all it is. And the problem that I think so so many people get into is that they forget that, their religion, whatever their religion is, is a means to an end. They confuse it for the end in and of itself. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's the biggest, that, to me, that's the biggest problem. So when people you know, talk about spirituality, especially people who claim that to not be spiritual, what they really mean is I'm not religious. That's what they really mean. When you start to poke at them and ask and and probe and try to figure out what do they mean when they say, I don't believe in God or, or I don't, you know, I don't, I don't accept religion. What are they actually talking about? You start to recognize that, yeah, they're not talking about spirituality. They're not talking about faith. They're talking about rules and rituals and, and, you know, belief Mm -hmm. systems and dogmas and, you know, Mm -hmm. do's Mm -hmm. and don'ts and institutions and authority structures. What does any of that have to do with Mm -hmm. faith and Mm -hmm. with spirituality? Mm -hmm. So uh, that's, that's, I would say the first thing. The first thing is recognizing the difference between those two things.
0: Well said, and I agree a hundred percent. And so many people can't differentiate the two. I remember I was doing this movie with this director and he's like, oh, so you're all into spirituality and God and stuff. And we were kind of touring this old church at the time. I was like, yeah, I believe in God. And I love reading about it and studying about it and talking about it and stuff. He's like, oh, I don't believe in God. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh really you don't? He's like, oh no, my parents dragged me to church Every day, not even once a week. I had to go every day and sit for Mass and I had to do this, and they made me a choir boy. I'm well, like, oh, I don't believe in God. So it had been completely fused with his right. traumatic childhood experience. The fact that, you know, is there a creative force in the universe that transcends the material? Has been kind of locked in, mm-hmm. uh, you know, zipped in with that, with that childhood experience. But mm-hmm. I think that um two things come to mind for me. What, what do people misunderstand about spirituality? One is that, um, you know, in the Hindu concept of Maya or, or illusion, it's that not only is it that the material world is an illusory world, it's not even that so much, people kind of misunderstand it that from my limited understanding and reading about it. But this concept of Maya is that we are fooled into thinking that there is duality. Mm-hmm. So it's not that we're, that we're fooled by the material world; we're fooled into thinking that there is duality. So I would say that this constant battle of like religion versus science or spirituality versus science that they're the same thing. Mm-hmm. There are there is one reality. There's two ways of kind of measuring, quantifying, looking at, interacting with this reality. Mm-hmm. Science science is the you know an incredible way of repeating experiments and understanding the material world and spirituality is again, it's the science of understanding the other aspects mm-hmm. of being alive about about love and service and, and kindness and, and our journeys and mission and, and that they both are harmonious. There is not a false duality. There's not a Maya. Mm-hmm. There's not an illusion of this versus that. We're very yeah. mind, body, spirit. Yeah.
1: I'm I just gonna say that the way that I refer to it, there are two modes of knowing. Mm. There are two modes of knowing. That's that's what they are, yeah. Mm,
0: yeah, that's that's perfectly said. I think the other thing that people misunderstand about spirituality is, I really like nuts and bolts, practical spirituality. Like I, I don't think the spirituality has to be like really airy fairy. It doesn't have to be really like n- this kind of nebulous feeling of connectivity, although that's nice. There's nothing wrong with that. There are spiritual tools that can make our lives better that can actually make us happier right. and more fulfilled so there are and those are found in all the faith traditions mm-hmm. they're found in Christianity Judaism Buddhism certainly and that's a
2: cornerstone of bahai this idea that that there's a universality in all these strains of yeah. of faith mm-hmm.
0: yeah so bahais believe that all of the world's religions come from the same source mm-hmm. and this God has chosen to educate humanity by sending down these divine teachers throughout time. We know many of them, Zoroaster, Abraham, to go way back, Krishna, but the Buddha, Jesus Muhammad, and now Baha'u'llah is the most recent of these uh, divine teachers and they all, it's like they're teachers in a school, like the school has a purpose, which is to educate its students, but you have to go through kindergarten and then first grade and third grade. The teachers all know the same amount. They're all just as mm-hmm. uh, professional or just as wise. They have mm-hmm. the same amount of knowing, but they're just slowly unfolding this kind of spiritual maturation of the human species so that these spiritual tools can be found throughout history. And they are there to make our lives better both personally and also societally.
1: Yeah, yeah. I was just gonna just add one more thing to this uh, and excuse me, I'm just gonna get a little academic here, but because I think it's important. Um, What we call religion, we could probably trace, um, you know, maybe six, seven, 8, 9,000 years. What we what we refer to as institutionalized religion. What I mean by that is, it's a cohesive system of beliefs and practices. It's a top-down, uh, you know, system. It's institutionalized. There's a, you know, priesthood or whatever the case
0: may be. Books with like rules. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. And well,
1: the, even before and... there was, there was any writing. So, you know, writing was invented maybe 3000 BC. And what we call religion, I'll even, we can go maybe to like, 10000 12000 BC so that's the the oldest temple that we have is a, is around okay. that period between 12 and 10000 BC the oldest temple that we have found what we call spirituality and i think rain hit it on the head when he said what what we mean by spirituality which is recognition and communion with the thing that is beyond the material realm. Mm, So this sort of, Mm -hmm. this urge for transcendence, that which is beyond. We have hard archeological evidence for the belief in the non-material world that goes back 200, 300,000 years. We have, material evidence of that belief mm-hmm. in, the, in Neanderthals.
0: Not even the human
1: species. Not, not even in Homo sapiens, exactly. Like we, we, we can trace that belief to 100,000 years before there was such a thing as Homo sapiens. And then I would say even further, there's, there's some material evidence that's a little bit more debatable that goes back all the way to Cro-Magnon. Over the last 30, 40 years or so, there's been this kind of new science in, in the study of religion, and it's called the cognitive theory of religion. Well, a lot of these you know, great cognitive theorists, these people who study the way that the brain works, mm-hmm. have started to ask themselves: why is spirituality or the religious impulse, as I like to call it, why is that a universal phenomenon? Why is it something that exists in every culture? in every people, in every part of the world for all of time. Why is it something that predates our species? Why? Because if it predates our species, if it's universal, there must be some evolutionary reason for it, right? Mm -hmm. There's gotta be Mm -hmm. some kind of adaptive advantage to it. Long story short, there is no adaptive advantage to it we've asked every question that we could possibly ask well maybe it's about you know morality no that's not it maybe it's about answering questions that's not it you know, maybe it's about social cohesion nope that's not it we've we've answered all of those questions and the fact of the matter is that we don't know we have no idea mm-hmm. why what we call spirituality is a universal phenomenon, part of our evolution as a species, what is the purpose of it? Mm-hmm. We don't know. The, the best answer that uh, the cognitive scientists that I um, sort of uh, look to, the best answer that they've given is that it's an accident. It's just a, like a, a byproduct of some other you know, adaptive advantage that was necessary very early in our evolution, something that helped us survive, and as a accidental echo of that thing, came the universal conception of spirituality. Yeah,
2: that's a good answer. It's super interesting. I, I would suspect that part of would it would it would it not be considered an evolutionary advantage. To like part of this being this quest to understand things that we don 't understand, right so we, we yeah. look up to the stars, we don 't have the scientific tools or the acumen to really understand what that is. we create myths, we yeah. create stories around that that help us you know feel better about who we are or feel like our lives have some level of meaning, and in modern times, you know God is dead, spirituality religion has been supplanted by. Science, science has become our God. Science is what we look to for all of these answers. Mm-hmm. And there's a hubris within the human being that science will ultimately, if we keep doubling down on it, provide everything that we need, which now, you know, makes spirituality and religion an antiquated idea right. altogether.
1: Yeah, so that and was actually, prevails. that was one of the first theories about why, why the universal phenomenon of the religious impulse. The problem with that theory is that there's literally no adaptive advantage whatsoever to having airy fairy answers to the questions of the universe, quite the contrary. In fact, what those answers do why why does the sun shine? Because there's a sun god, etc. What all that? What those answers end up doing is forcing individuals to exert resources and energy that should be spent on survival. So it's actually the opposite of an right, adaptive because, advantage. Because
0: if you're burying your Viking king and you put your swords and jewelry in the tomb because he's going <laughs> to need is a them perfect example. to go on a on his yeah. quest into yeah. Valhalla, then you've done a <laughs> that, great disservice. That is to a your disadvantage <laughs> to
1: your community. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, we don't we don't need to get too deeply involved in this, but I mean, I'm sure a lot of people out there are like, well, what about this and what about that? What about social cohesion? Doesn't re- doesn't religious belief or spirituality help? a community become tighter. And so if a community is tighter, they have a better chance of survival. True, except that that's not how Neanderthals or Homo sapiens created community. Community was kinship. It wasn't, you didn't create your community because you all believed the same thing. You created your community because you shared the same blood. Honestly,
2: that didn't really happen until Christianity, <laughs> you know? right? Well, and your survival
1: depended exactly. on it. But here's, here's, the, here's the bottom line of what I'm trying to say here is that we don't know. Maybe we'll find out one day, but we don't know why the religious impulse, the desire for transcendence, the belief that there is something else beside the material realm, why is that universal? Why is it part of our evolutionary process? We don't know. But embedded in the question to me is the answer. hmm Embedded in the question is the fact that whatever spirituality is, okay, back to this to the question, what do we misunderstand about spirituality? Whatever it is, it is the normal functioning of your brain.
0: <laughs>
1: That's what it is. Yeah. Your brain well said. is mm. designed to think mm-hmm. that there is a reality beyond the material realm.
0: And we've been thinking this way for 100, 200,000
1: years. Yes, yeah. mm-hmm. so you can deny that if you want to. You can say, no, there isn't anything beyond the material realm, fine. But that's a conscious decision. Your brain is designed to think that there is. And maybe we should take that seriously for a minute. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we can, uh, we can talk about why, we don't know. But the fact that it does, the fact that your brain is meant to think this way mm. should make us stop and think, well, maybe there's something to
0: it. It's yeah. fantastic. I, I thought you said you were tired today.
2: Yeah, I know. <laughs> I said you were out of it. <laughs> then Qualified somebody brought up
0: spirituality, <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's okay. <laughs> "All right, thought, okay, uh, Rain, your I, turn, I come do. On.
2: Before you do that, though, I wanted to um, follow up on one point that you made, Rain, about uh, you know dualistic thinking. Reza, you said, you know, many people will say, um, "I'm not spiritual," because they're affiliating that with with religion. Um, I think in Los Angeles, it's the inverse. Like people will say they're spiritual, but they're not religious. Yeah. But on that idea of, of binary thinking that um, science is at the exclusion of spirituality. I mean, for me, the more you delve into spirituality, the more amazing everything becomes, and the deeper you dive into science, the more mystical it becomes. Mm. Like I don't see those as being mutually exclusive pursuits. You, like you can be, yeah, you're right, rational. And science-minded, and insist on evidence for you know your beliefs, and be profoundly, deeply spiritual.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. Ray and I, we were just, we actually just were talking about this on a recent episode. You know the 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 foundation, the foundation of let me put it this way: the sort of the fundamental law of physics is the preservation of energy and matter. Mm. The belief that everything that exists today has always existed and will always exist as long as the universe exists. Man, Sufis have been saying that mm-hmm. for 1500 years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. you're right. The the more we know about the universe, the more science advances, the more spiritual it starts to sound. Mm-hmm. You're absolutely mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right,
2: let's see what we got here. Let's see what you got. I'm gonna pick the
0: dud. (laughs) (laughs) See that self-defeating attitude right there? What's up with that?
2: Oh, well, I didn't pick a dud, but I picked what we just talked about. What is faith and how does it differ from religion? I mean, we kind of already traversed that that a little bit. So let's let's go on to something else. Can you be rational, science minded, and still spiritual? We covered that. Okay, good. (laughs) (laughs) We're pretty good at this.
1: You know, we could just ask the questions and then splice in
2: the answers. Let's see. How do you be a good person? <laughs> nah, we, a little, we touched we on cut, that a little bit a little too bit. with Mike Sure, but yeah, we'd be did. happy to dig maybe, in. Maybe if you uh, want. elaborate a little bit on that and then we can move on quickly to another one. If there's more well, to say. What do you say?
0: think, Rich? You How know, do you be a good I,
2: person? I don't, you know, I, I, I can't say I have the ultimate answer to that. Mm-hmm. I think that there is wisdom in philosophical and spiritual. Um, strains of thought that have survived for thousands of years from which you can extract principles for how to orient your life. Um, Fundamentally, I think that being a good person is intertwined with that search for purpose. And it always goes back to um, finding a way to devote that purpose in service to other people. I think fundamentally being good is really about service.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I heard this phrase the other the other day about um being other-ish. Someone was talking about hmm. it. I forget who was saying that. Like we're we're selfish, and human beings are naturally selfish for a number of mm-hmm. reasons, I think, because children need to be selfish to survive. We needed as a species to be selfish to survive. I'm gonna feed myself this, you know, deer carcass and make sure that the people in my cave get the deer carcass and then my children get the piece of the deer carcass and there's a kind of a, a I sounded like Dwight Schrute just then but there's a <laughs> but there's a selfishness in this uh-huh. but then as we grow mature and progress then we can be otherish instead of selfish and how do we be a good person we just when I find myself being good and I haven't always been good and I struggle with being good. It's not like I'm arrived by any stretch of the imagination, ask my wife, um, but the idea of trying to be other-ish instead of selfish hmm. um, helps me in that, in that path. I
2: like that term other-ish. I hadn't heard yeah, that before. I, I'm gonna steal that. Yeah, Good, Yeah,
0: you're welcome to it.
2: All right, pick a new one. I think you're up. It's up to me now. Yeah,
0: Let's, here we go. That's a, a lot of gabbing. What happens after we die? <laughs> um, this is one of our chief topics on metaphysical yeah. to milkshake. I love this topic. With uh, Rob Bell, in fact. was that where you explored it? with him? Two-parter mm-hmm. with Rob Bell. Yeah. yeah, I was obsessed with this idea and we were asking Rob, like, cause he's a Christian who famously kind of disbelieved in hell for lack of a better way of, it's more mm-hmm. complicated than that. But that was, and so he got essentially excommunicated right. for those who don't, aren't familiar with his work. But he's still a Christian and very devout. Mm -hmm. So I was like, "So you're going to meet Jesus? Like, if you get hit by a bus, Rob Bell, what happens between you getting hit by that bus and you meeting Jesus? Like, like talk me through." That took two hours. Very specifically, (laughs) step by Uh step. You're hit by a bus. (laughs) You meet Jesus. Like what? I think we I think we we covered maybe like a second
1: of real time. Yeah in 2 hours. We didn't uh-huh. even get anywhere close <laughs> but to But we Jesus. didn't get to Jesus. We never got there.
0: <laughs> <God> asshole. <laughs> uh, but um so what happens after we die? Um so I'm writing a book right now uh about spirituality, which is this is quite an endeavor. Reza's done it before. It it's really hard. Um and the I'm ta- I'm taking these some of the biggest topics in the universe, like um I have a chapter on death uh-huh. and I have a chapter on God and I have a chapter on religion right and, um just one chapter on God' <laughs> it's a short chapter. I, it's killing it's killing me I'm literally in that chapter right uh-huh. now and it's <laughs> i've I've interviewed Reza about it I'm, it's killing me, dude, it really is but i'm I'm coming up with some good stuff um but uh what happens after we die, I've I've talked about, you know my belief as a Baha'i, in the Baha'i faith, we believe that there's an analogy that the body is, it's not just the Baha'i faith, there's many spiritual traditions that the body is a cage and that our reality is the bird within the cage. And when mm-hmm. the cage is broken, the bird goes free. And that's not something to be mourned, the brokenness of the body or of the cage, it's to be celebrated the glorious journey of Of the bird flying free of the material and physical limitations. But I will say that I I recently had a friend uh, pass away, and this has been a big year of death for me. My father passed away about a year ago. Um, The co founder of our nonprofit in Haiti died of cancer, and then Mm -hmm. one of my dear friends died of cancer. Sorry to hear that. um, Thanks, uh, recently. And, you know, it's such a tricky topic, but. there are there are good ways to die, and there's not so good ways to die. And and in fact, one of our episodes. I'm sorry, I feel like I'm really plugging the hell out of this podcast. <laughs> well, sorry. we do ask a
1: lot of these questions, yeah. so um, you know.
0: But we had. Well, you a are def- here to do that anyway. A so little bit. Just lean we, into it. Okay. Brain. <laughs> we had a death doula on the show, um, and she was amazing. And that's like, like an ex- a birth. It's doula. exactly what oh, yeah. you think it is. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and it's she helps you transition towards death, and that can be everything from like, where do you keep all your Facebook passwords and, Mm -hmm. you know, and also, um, you know, how do you want your ceremony to be? How do you wanna pass? What What do you want your deathbed to look like? Yeah, that was the big question, what your deathbed. So in having these discussions, we talk a lot about death and, you know, this friend of mine who passed away, like he didn't wanna look at death. And I think probably because he was mostly atheist, I think that he was like a third, you know, um, wondering, but mostly, and so for him, his journey towards this inevitability of death, cause he was given stage four stomach cancer was like, I'm going to fight cancer tooth and nail with every power in my being, which is great, right? which is important. But, but, but fueled by this terror of Fueled death. by terror mm-hmm. and a, and a kind of like, and I would talk, I would be always the voice to talk to him and say, David, can we, Talk about this a little bit, or I would send him like a little writing about from the Dalai Lama or a Buddhist text, or something about something about death, and like you know, I'd encourage him to get some therapy, help process the emotions around it. But we live in the Western culture in this abject terror of death. We don't talk about death. friend, a friend of mine was telling me that in um, now in contemporary society, like we, um, in, in the Victorians never talked about. Sex, but talked about death all the time in Victorian England. There were like, <laughs> death parties and there would be uh-huh. corpse viewings and seances, mm-hmm. and there was just this thing. And sex was like not talked about. Now we just talk about sex, and everything is like reality mm-hmm. TV shows are just literally like, hey, who are these people who are going to hook up. Pretty soon we're just going to have like. Mm-hmm. Shows where just like people meet and they hook up and we watch them having sex. <laughs> I but think it's, that's
1: it's, called porn. <laughs> that oh, that's porn. Oh yeah. That's
0: <laughs> what porn is. I've never checked it out. I'm gonna uh, need to check that I'll, I'll show you that some I, stuff. Is there any on the internet? No, <laughs> um, it's hard to find. But. Um, okay, thanks. Send me a link. Uh, but this uh, this idea that uh, we we are so afraid to talk about death yeah. and it is the one thing that we all have in common, everyone yeah. on this podcast yeah. and everyone listening to this podcast. And... um. If we embrace it as a continuation of the mystery, and yes, it's scary, um, we can have a very different relationship to death. Yeah,
2: yeah, I think it is less less about what happens when when we die. I mean, anybody who who you know answers that question with any level of certitude is somebody I'm probably not going to trust. <laughs> right. <laughs> um but it is it is about appreciation of death and how to bring death into our daily experience so that we can appreciate the richness of life mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. know mm-hmm. because that is a, a, a certitude and a certain duality you know that we need to understand our our culture is so whitewashed of any references to death whatsoever and despite our our you know our brains look intellectually, mass, look at
0: the mass denial happening in our country right now. It's unbelievable. Six hundred fifty thousand people yeah. dead in our country mm-hmm. in a, in a year yeah. and four months, and we're not talking about it. And they're partying like it's yeah. nineteen ninety nine, and there's no one is is looking at it. And so half of the population is going. I'm sorry to say this is going. You know, like what the
2: fuck? Yeah, yeah.
0: And uh, I know that gets it's a, it's a. I think it is a reflection
2: of this very thing, right? Because. We're so afraid of death and we have so little. I mean, like, you know, we don't connect with it in any way. Like, the minute somebody dies, they're removed from our line of sight and we don't have language for how to talk about it in a healthy way mm-hmm. beyond kind of like the traditional structures around funerals, et cetera. Um, and I think intellectually, we all understand that we're going to die. But I think deep down, we all think somehow we're going to figure out an end run around <laughs> it for us personally. Like, yeah. And that creates that like low grade fear that we carry with us, that forces us to even put it further out of our- our Well, I I, I
1: think the answer is ultra marathons. Um, Here's here's what I would say. Yeah, I mean, obviously I have no idea what the hell happens Mm -hmm. after we die, but to go back to kind of what I was saying earlier about the scientific fact that we are eternal right, that the things that make me what I am, and I mean like the cells in my body, the atoms, you know, the, the, the sort of most base structure of what has created this body is eternal, is forever. Those things don't just go away, they, are, they become el- something else, right? Matter and energy is forever. So that means my cells, my atoms, they are forever. They don't just stop being, they just stop being me. But I am more than just this physical body. Whether you believe in a soul or not, you believe in consciousness. A lot of you know philosophers, a lot of theologians will say, your consciousness is your soul. Stop thinking of them as different things that... Your ability to say, I am me is you recognizing and communing with what is your soul. So if your consciousness is a real thing, then your consciousness is also the result of- And
0: let me just jump in, let me just jump in, uh, because I think it's important to understand that People, scientists don't know what consciousness is. No, this yeah. is one of the great mysteries, no, no, no. Right? right? And so, you can't exactly.
2: talk about death without talking about consciousness, exactly. And so defining you what that yes, means. Yes, you can have
0: brain scans, and you can show kind of some vague areas in brains that light up when you look at a piece of a cherry rhubarb pie versus a you know a lion in the in the jungle. But we don't no, know no what it is. There's, exactly. There's there's neurons and electrons, and there's there's cells, and there's parts of the brain. But the idea of consciousness loving, laughing, thinking, pondering, memories, the the unification mm. of all of these different aspects of what it is to be alive and have this quote unquote internal experience. I just wanna say that and, correct for the record. And, this and what actually, aspect
2: of that is individuated versus universal, like this yeah. idea of panpsychism, that everything on some level is conscious, every accumulation right. of 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 matter. And that there is, you know, like bees in a hive that we share some kind of, mm. you know, consciousness, like
1: Godhead, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I actually believe that, but, but fine. If you don't believe that you could still follow what I'm saying. And yes, Rain is absolutely right. Whatever consciousness is and we don't know is involved in our biological processes, right? So I guess what I'm saying is when I die, all the things that make up my material self continue forever. That's science. The matter continues forever. The energy continues forever. Well, if my consciousness is in some ways, the the sum of my matter and my energy, then who's to say my consciousness doesn't continue forever in some way, shape or form. Do you know what I mean? So Mm -hmm. when, when people ask me like, do you believe in life after death? That to me is life after death, that the thing that makes me me continues in some way that like my consciousness doesn't disappear because my consciousness is the result of matter and energy and matter and energy doesn't disappear.
0: And that's very Sufi. Right? Mm, yeah.
1: So the answer is, I don't know, but. That's that's my well, kind of prevailing yeah, like there's
0: theory. A, there's a great <laughs> metaphor in the Baha'i writings that I've talked about in my chapter on death, which is, it's pretty simple. Uh, it's kind of like the bird in the cage one. It's it's a little bit, it, you might go, oh, that's kind of simple, but it's also profound. And that is that when we're a baby in the womb, we're growing what we need for this physical world. So we're in floating in in this kind of stasis, growing our bones, our eyelashes, our, our ears and lips and, the eyebrows and elbows and everything that we're gonna need. And it's just, the baby has no idea mm-hmm. why it's growing elbows. If you ask the baby, interview the baby, what's up with the elbows baby? Like, I have no idea. <laughs> I'm sitting in this amniotic sac. I'm fine. I'm connected with my mother. It's all, it's all good, elbows, I don't need elbows. But then there's this very scary event of like going through the birth canal I'm like, oh shit! This whole uh, this whole experience <laughs> is coming to an end. This is terrifying. <laughs> there's blood. There's pain. There's discomfort. But what an incredible mm. world we get born into. You get to kind of, you know, you get to see, uh, you know. Picasso paintings and you get to have, you know, parties and you get to fall in love and there's all kinds of new experiences await you. Well, the same thing happens. So I don't know what happens when we die, but but I think metaphorically speaking, we are like the death doula might say, we are being born into a new experience. Mm, and yeah. the, what we're growing in this world are not physical arms and legs. We're growing spiritual arms and legs and elbows. We're yeah. growing patience and kindness and humility and compassion and, and love and honesty. And these, these qualities that are kind of quote unquote higher qualities, but qualities of light, those are what we take with us when we're, when we're plunged through that painful, difficult, bloody, difficult, painful mm-hmm. birth canal of death uh, into this other reality.
2: I love that. There's also something beautiful about wonder and not knowing the answer. That I think gives our lives a level of richness. Like, if we could know everything, is that something that we should aspire to? Mm. And or is it even possible to know everything? Is mm. it possible to answer that question with certitude? What happens after death? And if we could answer it, should we? Mm. I don't right, know. Pass that bull, you know. I don't know.
0: Good, good point.
1: All right, let's see. Let's see. Next
0: up we have to do all these
1: questions before. No. We, <laughs> <laughs> what is the nature of consciousness? We uh, already we did, that, one. did wow, that. We just did Same. that. No, it's wow, crazy. we're ahead. It's crazy. Yeah. Head of the game. We're ahead on, I, well time. Do we have a soul? What is it to you? <laughs> I I kind of feel like.
0: Conscious, you were talking about consciousness <laughs> as a soul? I mean, that's. We I just did that. That's I mean, how I, I think the consciousness, it.
2: soul, death thing. That's all, that's all wanted to say. Good, good. Maybe we will get through We're gonna knock all
1: these out, look at that. Soul is just a word. It's just a word and we. Oh, what does it mean to be human? Ooh. Hmm. that's good. Damn. Do that you have a, a chapter one. on that one? That's in a good your book. One. Not a yeah. <laughs> What does it mean to be
0: human?
1: Okay. Uh,
0: right, there's, do, wait, do a, I have Here's to, another one. Yeah, let's maybe we do Can both. I Is be that? on your podcast? <laughs> Rich, <laughs> <Yeah>. what? Come, <laughs> no. on. Oh, come on. Go ahead, Rez. Um, human. Damn. Do you even know?
1: I'm not. I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not sure.
2: What is it about being human and how being human distinguishes us from the rest of the animal kingdom, the phyla out there, that um, that we have a sense of self-awareness, that we have this yearning towards spirituality, that we have... Um, a level of consciousness that, that allows us to ponder the nature of consciousness itself. Is this just the evolution in brain capacity or is it something qualitatively pondering, different? Pondering mortality. See, yeah. yeah,
0: maybe part of, um, I once said that to my friend, I was like, you know, what's, he was basically, a, he's an atheist describing us as like, essentially like apes with bigger brains. I'm like, well, we're very different because we get to ponder our mortality and animals don't ponder their mortality. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, that's preposterous, but it's true. It is well, true, but, but a, gonna...
2: is that a brain volume thing or is that something
0: different altogether? I think it's different altogether. But I think one of the things that makes us human is that we get to have this bowl of questions and we get to have <laughs> this discussion about these questions. That's one thing, but go ahead.
1: Well, so, but the problem with the, the brain argument about what does it mean to be human, that our brains are just different is that well, then, that means eventually, eventually, we're going to be able to replicate that brain. Eventually, we'll be able to put the same neuro processes that make me um, think about my mortality into a robot. Mm-hmm. And so now, the robot is thinking about its mortality. Is the robot human I'd now? I watched that
2: movie. <laughs>
1: and or, yeah, does, the, does
2: the, that doesn't necessarily lead to consciousness?
1: That's right. So, um, you know, pondering, you know, death. Uh, I mean, we know that. Rhesus monkeys and elephants visit graves. They think about, you know, uh, their uh, fellow monkeys and fellow elephants that have died, like uh, a ass- long
0: time ago. We assume that's what they're doing because their behaviors seem to true, allude true, to that. Uh, we yeah. don't know what. Sure, they're
1: sure, 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 sure. Thinking. You're, you know, Are weird. we anthropomorphizing it? Well. I mean, the there, especially with elephants, there's no reason for them, you know, years later to revisit burial yeah. sites and yet they do. They, we, they seem we, to be
0: mourning. They seem up bor- to be mourning, and, yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. So we see behavior. So that's all we can do is theorize based on their behavior, I guess. But I, the reason that I was stumped by this question is that I'm wary of the brain argument. You know, um, mm-hmm. people ask, going back to what we had said before, oh, that spirituality resides in the brain. Uh, you know, it's it's part of our cognitive processes. So it must be there for a reason. And you should probably think about that. The question then is, oh, okay. Well then if I figure that out, it's bloop, 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 bloop. And then I do bloop, 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 bloop into a robot, Does the, will the robot believe in God? Yeah. Yes, it will. So what does that mean about what is unique about my brain? I just I don't know. Mm -hmm. You know, when you were talking about panpsychism, I and I said, yeah, that's me. That's what I that's actually what I believe. I think that's what I mean, is that it's hard for me to differentiate myself all that much from the rest of existence simply because my brain's a little bit different. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like mm. I I accept that my brain is different and I rejoice in that. <laughs> but it's hard for me to feel too supreme about it knowing that whatever, you know, my brain is could possibly be replicated. But I
0: think I think what you're getting at Reza is there is a kind of like a uh, western christian philosophical supremism yeah uh that is really a little bit revolting mm-hmm. which is kind of like we are superior to the animals and <laughs> therefore we we care take the animals or we mm-hmm. we have dominion over the animals we have dominion over the earth and we're are, arrived and we have the holy spirit in us and we're there's this kind of like and i'm doing that fakey voice accent because there is that's and our, it filters into non-religious
1: anointed. thinking as well. It's yeah. the same, the you, know, you don't have to be religious to think that way.
2: I, I think it, on top of that, there is the, the that hubris extends to this notion that we are capable of understanding everything. It's just a matter of, of refining our science and you know, over time, figuring all of these
0: things out. Yeah, in, and in I just 57 think, years, we'll have consciousness we'll know, completely we'll figured we'll know every, out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I
2: just don't see that being possible. Like in the same way that, you know a beetle is never going to understand the human language like the brain capacity of that organism just you know prevents it from understanding certain things that were that are obvious to us right mm-hmm. so how much and 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 so the the hubris plays into this idea that we are supremely evolved that there is nothing uh, there is no truth that eludes our capacity to understand. And
0: mm. I just think that's preposterous. Yeah, especially mm-hmm. with our limited senses that we have. Yeah. We just have these five senses and,
2: right. you know. And they're not they're not all that good yeah. compared to the rest of the animal <laughs> yeah.
0: kingdom. Yeah, yeah, know. Yeah. Um, all right, Rich. Yeah. Ooh,
1: uh, there we go.
2: All right, we have time for like one more of these.
1: There we go, one more. Make it a good one.
2: I'm going, I'm going hot pink. are all religions fundamentally the same.
0: We kind of covered yeah, that we a little did. bit. <laughs> we you did know did a the, bit. from a Bahai standpoint but yeah, also Reza's yeah. standpoint that. I know.
1: would just say just be um and this is kind of a big deal over the last 30 40 years in religious studies cuz like You know, a a big part of the early 20th century of religious studies was all about, you know, religions are fundamentally all saying the exact same thing, but using different languages. And I agree with that. And then sometime around the 60s and the 70s, there was a backlash to that because people were saying, well, but you're not taking those differences seriously enough. Right, that there is a reason why Christianity is different than Islam, and Islam is different than Judaism, and Judaism is different than Baha'i, et cetera, et cetera, and that we shouldn't wash away those differences by simply saying, "Well, they're all pretty much saying the same thing." They are all pretty much saying the same thing. That's actually <laughs> true, but you know, let's let's not um, devalue those yeah. differences. Is all I will mm-hmm.
2: say. Yeah. Well put.
1: Sure. Let's get okay, with that.
2: that. One or two more of these. Oh, I love this one. Are we addicted to everything?
1: Boom. (laughs) <laughs> that's a title of one of our episodes. Literally, you stole that yes. from, uh, from one of our episodes. I
2: did. Dr. Gabor Mate. It hasn't Ooh. gone up yet, though. No, it has no, not gone yet. But I've up had Gabor on my let show. Me just tell you I mean, is. this. is a subject You know that. Did that's he blow you away the way that heart. he blew me away?
1: Because I was- Did he flip it on you? Oh, he flipped it on me so oh. quickly. Please flip it on me.
2: He dissected
0: I am take Reza advantage. in a way. Yes.
1: I was, he I broke was so, Reza down. I was so good. I was in tears. You know, I mean, Rain has talked about he's had some addiction uh-huh. issues and he's, he hasn't he's been very open about it. And and I was like, listen, look, I'm I'm not an addict. I never I've never been addicted I mean, sure I take part in various vices, uh, but I'm not a I'm not addicted mm-hmm. to anything. And uh Rain in the middle of the podcast, just kind of as a joke, was like, Well, you're a workaholic. And I was like, Well, you know, what I mean, what does that even mean, a workaholic? And then Dr. Gabor Mate just you yourself. You are, down. Yeah. yeah. You
0: are you are the children of immigrants. Yeah. And your father and your meaning to your parents is so yeah. important. And you have come to America and what you make of yourself is how you get your complete your self esteem and it's your family and it's how you I was just like Break oh, your family down and shit. what they look to you, and you are yeah. nothing without your successes.
1: Because I was like, I have six jobs, so what? That's awesome. That makes me great. Like, why <laughs> is that a bad thing? I work 16 like a, hours and a day. Like, and you know, Gabor Mate's theory is that all addiction stems from trauma. And I was mm-hmm. like, what? No, trauma? What trauma? This dude <laughs> just broke me down. And now I realize, oh, shit, I am a workaholic.
0: Yeah. I have an addiction that comes from some trauma. That comes from the trauma your of first of, generation yeah. uh, immigrants. being a refugee, refugee, leaving
1: everything behind, coming to America with like nothing, and you know, starting all in over Oklahoma, again. Right? Did you in feel Oklahoma. the
2: the pull to defend your parents?
1: Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah, totally. I was, and I was defending myself. And, well, and it was just...
0: really profound in the, my discussion with him. I don't want to hear what he mm-hmm. said to you, Rich. I'll, I'll listen to that that podcast specifically. But I said, you know. Me, I'm I'm like so poly addicted to kind of pretty much anything one can become addicted to. I joked, you know, I'm having my green tea here. I was like, the like one addiction I allow myself. I don't even have like hard, I quick coffee because yeah. it was too hardcore. But but I said, the weird thing is that, and everyone in my family is addicted. My dad wasn't addicted to anything who passed away this last year. And he's like, and Gabor Mate was like, well, what did your father die from? And I was like, well, he died of heart disease. What kind of heart disease? Well. His uh, his arteries were completely clogged, and they tried to do a quadruple bypass, and they couldn't. They couldn't get in. They, they just, he was just too clogged and backed up, and um, his aorta wasn't even working. It's like heart disease comes from trauma. There's a heart disease is its own kind of addiction. It's a trauma <laughs> yeah. response. They've yeah. proven heart disease is a trauma response. I was like, holy shit, that really blew my mind. I think because my dad had this incredibly traumatic childhood, but he never did drugs. He never drank, he never fucked around. He never, he didn't do any of that stuff. And I was like, what is, why yeah. is he superhuman? And yet he died at 78 with his, his entire chest just clogged with, with trans fats, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, um, and that, that really put a perspective. There's a kind of, there's a heartbreak in that mm-hmm. physical condition.
2: Yeah, he has quite the gift of just lasering in on that thing, you know, that you're not even aware was such a big piece that it drove your you? behavior. Well, he, for me, it's like, my parents love me. They took care of all my needs. They love each other. They're still together. I can't, I'm, I'm in, I'm long time sober. I've been in recovery for a long time. And of course, you know, over the years people, well, why do you think you're an alcoholic? Why? And, it's, and one of the things you learn in 12 step is that's not really a fruitful uh, kind of thought experiment because it doesn't really provide you with the tools to live now. So you focus on the solution and your character defects, et cetera, and like working the steps. So I hadn't spent a lot of time trying to understand what might have led me down this path. But I was certain that it had nothing to do with family history because I didn't grow up with any alcoholism in the family. I don't know anybody in my extended family that had it. I didn't suffer any trauma growing up that you would point to and say, poor Rich, he had to, not like typical kid stuff, bullying and the like, but. Nothing that I could point a finger at my parents and say this, you know, my my affliction is attributable in some part to this. But what he did was help me understand that, and I'm very protective of my parents because they blame themselves, and I'm constantly saying it's not your fault. But I did grow up in a very uh, achievement education oriented household. Where you know love, uh, you know, corresponded to how well you were doing in school or what you were achieving. Like my achievements were all this quest to you know seek approval and acceptance and and love on some level. Not in a really pernicious way, but definitely in a way that was real. And so he helped me understand that, and I was like. No, I don't wanna blame. He's like, it's not about your parents being bad people. They're good people. They did their best or whatever, but just recognizing that truth, I think, has been helpful to me. And yet at the same time, um, and I'm interested in what you guys think about this, like, I feel that Gabor is sort of a hammer in search of a nail. And I think addiction really is a little bit more complex than just saying, I think childhood trauma is a big piece in that, but I think it's reductive to say, it's because of this, and if you heal this, you will no longer have your addiction problem. I don't think that it works. No, I, that I way. think
1: I, I I agree with that, and it is very complicated. And he had, and you know, I think you know we're we're obviously simplifying. I think what yeah. what Gabor would say about stuff, but I do think that there is, like, I would ask the question a little bit differently. Um, and I would instead of "Are we addicted to everything?" My question would be, "Why are we addicted?" To things, why do all of us find something that you know we have addictive behavior towards, and and if his theory is that because underneath it somewhere, somewhere underneath it, there's trauma. Well, I think even going further beneath that.
2: There's a spirituality to all of it because addiction mm-hmm. is rooted in the search for answers or the search for comfort or making sense of the world or trying
1: to understand, you know, how you belong to this thing. Yeah. So he, one thing that he said that I thought was that I hadn't heard before, because we, you know, addiction is a disease and addiction is this and is this. And his argument was that addiction is the symptom to a problem. Sure. So maybe the problem isn't trauma. He, you, I think you're absolutely right that he will he will always bring it back to trauma somehow. Mm-hmm.
2: And, and Johan Hari will always bring it back to
1: connection. Like, I don't know if you read his book, Lost Connection, sure. like that's yep. his vein, you know. Or, or spiritual, you know, disconnection. Spiritual malady. Um, mm-hmm. You know, whatever the case may be. But there is something to be said about thinking of addiction as a symptom. Now, what is it a symptom of? That's fine, you can, there's a different things to it. And I think that was kind of eye-opening to me mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. find the thing that you feel like you can't live without and then ask why, mm-hmm. right?
2: right? Like we don't. Well, the drug or the behavior is the solution to the problem. It's not the problem. Right.
0: Well, to pull the camera back a little bit it it's seven stops billion people on the planet um, are we addicted to anything, to everything? And the answer is yes. And I I agree with Gabor Mati in, in this sense and, and the other author I'm not familiar with, you're talking about connection. I would agree with that as well. In in terms of looking, if you're an alien looking down at humanity on this planet, you'll be like, yes, there's, there's a trauma and there's a trauma, which is 10,000 years of wars and 10,000 years of starvation and 10,000 years of droughts and how difficult it is to survive. So we want stuff and comfort and we want to, we want security. And so what is that, that means more stuff and more toys and more things and nicer things and softer beds and more choices in mattress foams mm. and <laughs> smartphones that can do everything for us we'll never get lost again we'll never experience the pain of being lost because we have ways on our phones and never so be it just, bored again we'll never, will be, never be bored again because we have instant distraction with 147 games on our phones and so humanity 7 billion of us is is a traumatized species on a planet but we keep going to the wrong just like an addict mm-hmm. we keep going to the wrong well to soothe ourselves we instead of just like an addict will go to the to the mm-hmm. gin to soothe themselves because that worked for a couple years out of college mm-hmm. it worked quite effectively until it didn't work anymore but humanity keeps going to the well of stuff so it's status and stuff and safety and comfort instead of Connection, mm-hmm. And instead of, you know, this kind of inevitable spiritual transformation that will happen, whether a billion people need to die of climate change related catastrophe along the way for us to do it. But in some way, shape or form, we will evolve to a higher level of connectivity and, and not keep going to, to oil and materialism and consumerism to soothe this kind of mm-hmm. human wound. Mm-hmm. But short of a,
2: revolution of consciousness can we get there? Because I think it is true that we are addicted to everything. I used to think of addiction just in terms of like drugs, alcohol, gambling, sex, like the kind of typical laundry list, but really the more time I've spent in recovery, I am utterly convinced that we are all, that that addiction lives on this incredibly broad spectrum. Mm. And it can be your you know uh capacity for just being in unhealthy relationships all the time yeah, or sure. always seeking out the wrong partner all the way to our smartphones of course but it's all reinforced by this culture that is shoving down our throats this message that the the the, the, the happiness w- that we seek and the kind of um spiritual union the yearning that we all share can be sated through consumption and accumulation mm-hmm. and until we you know have a reformation Of our social and cultural priorities, can that ever truly change, or do we just delve deeper into this abyss? But that
0: may be what climate change is giving us.
2: Maybe I hope, yeah.
0: But I mean, it it will be horrific if if the you know if the predictions, the scientific predictions are correct, and we go to you know three degrees, four degrees Celsius change, it will be incredibly Mm. dire. And I don't want to undersell that, but it may force. A kind of global reckoning about how we are in harmony with each other and in harmony with our planet, and in harmony with materialism right. slash consumerism. It is but providing it us with way. this opportunity.
1: Yeah, you conform. know we we joke a lot about how oh man what we really need is an alien invasion. If we only had an alien invasion, I wish we got an alien then we'd alien all invasion. then we'd all unite together. If we haven't an ina- alien invasion. I the don't. planet's on fire. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. it's here. Uh, and well, we've, that never makes us more, we've never been more we've never
2: been more divided and our, our facility for healthy productive communication has been so eroded, it's insane. And I think if we were invaded by aliens, there would be, you know, half the population saying it was a hoax and the other population, <laughs> you know, it's it right. Can we ever truly agree on a shared version of reality anymore? Yeah. I don't know. We're running out so. of time here, but we can't end on this this like got, apocalyptic not so, note. <laughs> I know that got so doom and gloom <laughs> at the end, know, right? Oh my, Speaking goodness. Of the end so, of the world. Yeah, people how, are probably what are we gonna so do? depressed we out there. We need a U turn here. All right, well, here's let's one go for back. you.
0: Let's go, go back ahead. a page, and I will say that here. Give me those cards again, the, the ones you know. I think that um, these these questions, how to be a good person. Um, what does How it mean can to be we, human? oh, there's more over here. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what is the nature of consciousness? And what does it mean to be human? You know, what it means to be human is to have these discussions about these questions, to question our lives, to try and be a better person, to to ponder what happens after we die. And what do people misunderstand about spirituality? I mean, this is kind of the thesis of my book is that we need a spiritual revolution mm-hmm. to transform, not only on an individual level, but on a societal level. And this is, and we can do it, you know? Mm -hmm. And I really believe, even just watching the Olympics, and I know it's corny and they, NBC's really good at like she was up at 4 a.m. Yeah. every morning before anyone else got awake <laughs> and doing laps in the pool and her grandmother drove her and she could only <laughs> afford Cheetos to eat for breakfast <laughs> and now she's the fastest 200-meter butterfly swimmer in the world and and you get all invested in mm-hmm. I'm just a sucker for it but I love it the teamwork the camaraderie of these swimming teams like holding each other and sobbing in each other's arms and how hard they've worked the ingenuity the strength like I believe in us I mean, this is ultimately what I, it comes down to is like, I believe in humanity. I really do. In the bottom of my heart, I believe that we have the ability to connect, to heal, and to use tools from the various spiritual traditions to uh, to to elevate. And um, you know, the world is in this rapid,, uh, what is it, disintegration? That's happening right now, and we've, we've we've talked about that climate change and and the political mm-hmm. you know disunity. But we're also in a place of integration, and there have been tremendous strides forward. Look at the strides forward with like the conversations around race in this country. No, we have not healed racism; it's not over. Long way to go, but it we we really are at a different place than we were yeah. two years ago. Yeah, we're reckoning with it in a way we weren't. Yeah, but and the same about. with the with the Me Too movement and, mm-hmm. and women in the workplace, and especially I we feel this in Hollywood, uh, and I'm sure it's in, in other businesses as well. But Hollywood was such a sexist and corrupt business, and now there's a reckoning there as well. So we there are forces of integration, there are forces of that are moving us forward, and and I believe that um, you know that the the human beauty, ingenuity, fortitude, and determination we see in the Olympics can be uh, uh, put on to 7 billion of us yeah. sharing this
1: yeah. planet. And then I'll just you say- You did it, you
0: turned it around. Yeah, How about I'll, that?
1: I'll, I'll, uh, I'll hand, the bato- hand the Olympic baton <laughs> off, thank you. Uh, um, I, can't, I can't do this race because I smoke pot, so. Um, Uh-oh, <laughs> yeah. and you eat donuts. And I eat donuts, um, I think, that when you narrow your vision to our present moment, then it's impossible to be optimistic. It's impossible to think anything other than we are all screwed. Yeah, we're fucked. It's over. Yeah. Try to broaden that view just for a minute. Just Open up your vision for a second. Look at this present moment as though it is an instant in a gigantic timeline. I think about the fact that something, you know, one of our uh, guests, Malcolm Gladwell, uh, brought up. There was a battle in World War I, one battle in which one million people died wow. in one battle. Okay. Mm. Um, we're not. We are as far away from that experience today as you know we are from mapping consciousness, right? Um, so broaden your viewpoint a little bit, and it it'll it, it, it infect you with a little bit more optimism. And then the only other thing well, that I will about, say, and like, let me add yeah. to that,
0: think about this: American Civil War. Think about the fact that, what what did people think about in 1867, you know, when- 150 years ago, that was not that long ago. And when, you know, 2 million people were dead on battlefields and blood soaked battlefields and the whole country was at each other's throats. People say, oh, it's never been as bad in the United States as it is now. It's like, (laughs) what about the civil war? What about (laughs) millions and millions dead? And and it it probably seemed like there wasn't a, a way out yeah that. So I just want to sure. support your then, thesis.
1: This is the, the the only other thing that I will say is it's also very easy to listen to all these incredibly loud voices, voices of radicalism and extremism whether they be religious or political or or whatever the case may be because those loud voices are what get the attention. They're mm-hmm. the ones that that come up on top. But always remember that any kind of fundamentalism, whether it's religious fundamentalism or political fundamentalism, ethnic, racial, whatever the case may be, is by definition a reactionary phenomenon. The voices of extremism that you hear are not independent phenomena. They are a reaction to what is independent phenomena so when you hear someone screaming you know about racism or political extremism or you know religious fanaticism understand that what that is is a reaction to progress and secularization and pluralism and you know a diversity, a, a diversity. Mm-hmm. that it's pluralism progress diversity you know those are the things that's the stream mm-hmm what you are hearing is the response to the stream. So, so focus don't on the freak stream. out. Yeah, don't freak yeah. out, <laughs> focus right, right, on the stream.
2: Right, right. and no progress uh, occurs without that resistance or that friction, right? So the loud voices are the friction, but they're really, you know, the dying voices in the night as yeah, culture exactly. progresses. Don't confuse it, yeah. just cause it's the
0: loudest doesn't mean it's- Yeah, there were those the same majority. loud voices in the, in the civil rights era. Sure. And the same loud voices defending our role mm-hmm. in, the, in the Vietnam War, you know the, the, the same thing was happening then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Put your head down and progress.
2: Well, I feel like this was the everything bagel of metaphysical milkshakes. <laughs> <laughs> With my we favorite bagel, of the Vitamix And I don't know how it's gonna taste, but we did it. How do you feel? <laughs> it was good. It was cool, right? This is what
1: we do. This is yeah, what man. we live for. I dig band. it. I love
2: I love the show Metaphysical Milkshake available wherever you listen to fine podcasts and you guys are easy to find on the internet. Other than that, any anything coming up or anything you want to point people towards? More episodes. Are you doing this like in seasons or are you just going to be putting them up like We don't really know. You know They're
0: like mm-hmm. They just keep telling us. Yeah. Like, they, they are like, we need more episodes. Uh, okay, <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, <laughs> who's
2: they? <laughs> the the, the podcast they. gods. Yes, okay. yes, yes yeah.
1: yeah. I mean, look, we we enjoy it. Um, I think we 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 promised that we would do, I think maybe forty or forty five of them yeah. uh, a year, like which that. seems insane. Um, but you know, we'll just keep doing it as right. long as it's fun. I think the second it's not fun
0: both of us will look at each other yeah. and be like, you know what? We'll throw in the towel yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they'll live on. The conversations will live on, but yeah. yeah, it's it's a blast. I mean, I I love having elevated conversations and what a treat to share this with with Reza and and you're doing the same yeah. thing over here and uh, a yeah. big admirer of your Fun. podcast. And thanks for having us yeah. on. Yeah, thanks thank you Rich. guys.
2: And when those books are, are ripe and ready, come back and, we'll come back. and share with me about yeah. them, please. Mm-hmm. Cool. Mm-hmm. All right, peace, plants, namaste. Namaste. Roll what, out. Is that, what is the Baha'i term for Namaste?
0: Um, is there is there an analog?
1: There's not really.
0: <laughs> no, there's not really.
1: No. <laughs> yeah,
0: not really. Baha'is are wont to say sometimes "Allah Abha, which means God is glorious, but that's not really in that no. in that same yeah, context. Gotcha. So. cool. Okay. All right. All right. Thanks, you
2: guys. Today's show was produced and engineered by Jason Camiolo with additional audio engineering by Cale Curtis. The video edition of the podcast was created by Blake Curtis with assistance by our creative director, Dan Drake. Portraits by Davey Greenberg and Grayson Wilder. Graphic and social media assets, courtesy of Jessica Miranda, Daniel Solis, Dan Drake, and A.J. Akpodiete. Thank you, Georgia Whaley for copywriting and website management. And of course, our theme music was created by Tyler Pyatt, Trapper Pyatt, and Harry Mathis. Appreciate the love, love the support. See you back here soon. Peace, plants,
0: namaste.